Hi, I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky, and I work with the Jesuits in Washington, D.C. This past winter, the cause for sainthood for Father Pedro Arupe was officially opened in Rome. Father Arupe served as the Jesuit Superior General from 1965 to 1983, right in the middle of the huge changes in the church caused by the Second Vatican Council. He's sometimes called the second founder of the Jesuits because so much of what he emphasized continues to characterize the Jesuits today. I sat down with Father Tim Kosicki recently, the president of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States, for a conversation about this beloved leader who's moving toward canonization. Well, Father Tim, thanks so much for coming on to chat about Father Pedro Arupe. There's been a lot of talk within the Society of Jesus about Pedro Arupe recently because his cause for sainthood has just been opened. So why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about who Pedro Arupe was? Well, Arupe is probably the most famous Jesuit of the 20th century. It's interesting to note that three Jesuits have been on the cover of Time magazine, if people still read magazines. And uh, those three Jesuits are Father John Courtney Murray, very active in the Second Vatican Council, Pope Francis, and... Father Pedro Arupe. Arupe was elected general in 1965, the 31st General Congregation. He was elected general in the midst of the Second Vatican Council, and he's the general who really transitioned the society from, from the pre-council church and Jesuit order to uh, the society after the council. So if you, if you appreciate the historic significance of that council and how much it changed the church as well as the Jesuits and other religious orders, uh, you can see why he was such a pivotal man. His general had lasted from 1965 until 1983. So it was a long generalate and it had an immense impact uh, on the world. So as you're saying, Second Vatican Council, church is changing, world is changing. What are some of the values that he brought to the society based on what he was seeing going around him in the world and in the church? Well, the society, I mean, it's interesting to always look at the society as before the suppression, after the suppression, and after the Second Vatican Council. Now, everyone can have their own lines, but I like to use those because it, it, the Jesuit order was suppressed from 1773 to 1814 and was on its way back. And, and uh, as it was rebuilt after the suppression, I think the Jesuit order was very much lockstep with the church. Uh, you often heard of the shock troops or the Pope's front line. There was a lot of military imagery used. And um, that's the way the church was. If you look at images of the Catholic Church in the United States in the 1950s, there was a great deal of conformity. There was a, a, a great deal of things were regimented. Seminaries, uh, novitiates, everything was regimented. The council comes and says, you know what? We're not interested in, in all this lockstep movement and formation. Find your charism. Find what uh, your founder really wanted. And so that's what Arupe had to do. So, I mean, some practical things. It used to be that the... The, the spiritual exercises um, were all preached retreats before Rupi's time. You know, after the council, you saw more people making individually directed retreats. Well, that's a small thing, but the mass was changing. And with the change to the vernacular, uh, you know, saying the mass in all these different languages, uh, Jesuits are all in the world are now growing to appreciate other languages, other cultures in a, in a more uh, rich and, and deep way. So, so it really was a tectonic shift in the church, and, and Arupe was the, the visionary who, who had the capacity and the ability to move us forward. So let's go back a little bit in time before Arupe is elected Father General. What was his 
kind of ministry past? What prepared him for that role? I, I know a little bit of that he had spent some time in Japan uh, during the Second World War even. Yeah, so I mean, he's the classic uh, European missionary. You know, he, he entered the society to become a missionary. We know he's a Spaniard. Uh, interestingly, he's from the Basque region of Spain, so he and Loyola are the two Basque generals. That's, that's significant. Uh, even even the hairline was <laughs> similar uh, to Loyola's. Uh, was a missionary, went to Japan. I mean, went to the East, um, became fluent in Japanese. A uh, major historic event in his life was he was the novice master in Hiroshima when the atomic bomb fell. And um, I remember when 9-11 happened, I was at a school and I read that afternoon Arupe's uh, very moving testament on that day, what it was like to be in a city when an atomic bomb fell. So that was a great gift of Arupe. Um, secondly, he then became provincial in Japan. And uh, that was uh, that was common then that most of the Jesuits were from Europe. They were expatriates. So he's part of building up an indigenous clergy, but he was provincial in Japan, and it was really from that position that he was elected superior general. So, I mean, he was the classic Jesuit missionary who um, who had an experience of enculturation and whom people felt could understand how the council could be implemented, not just in Rome, but most importantly, in the broader world. Sure. So, so he's sent out again to periphery, a place where the Catholic Church you know, had some roots, and Jesuits definitely had roots, but is not definitely not a largely Catholic country. So he had again gone to, to that margin, and then is there again in the aftermath, as you're saying, of uh, Hiroshima, and and then since he had some medical training in his his childhood, I've read or youth, I've read he um he actually kind of responded to some of the needs like immediately after that, and read too that maybe some of that experience there, kind of seeing what war had done to this place where you know he was he was based kind of influenced some of his uh, real commitment to social justice which is another kind of hallmark of something he brought to the society yeah you know the, the notion of uh, of accompanying people and so how he had to accompany um particularly those who were suffering you always have to first respond but also to understand the complexity of that war to understand the complexity of war in general the dynamics of reconciliation mercy forgiveness you know, that his message wasn't tribal or vengeful, or as we see often today. I mean, so so he understood the complexities of facing great, grave trauma. And uh, I think that that was a tremendous virtue he brought. Uh, uh, and, and I think as, as Superior General, uh, as the church was trying to embrace the screaming needs of the poor throughout the world, he, he was coming from the wellspring of his heart and his soul. Uh, it was not just abstract theory. This Lent here at the Jesuit Conference, our Lenten series has focused on uh, the kind of prayer and spirituality of, of Pedro Rupe. We've been kind of praying with him throughout Lent, and it's been really fascinating to see some of his writing. Clearly someone who, in addition to being this kind of world leader, leader of, you know, within that context, was also like so deeply spiritual and rooted in his relationship with Jesus. Yes, uh, you know, and I think he had a very practical, uh, a practical spirituality and a practical approach to faith. I mean, perhaps if, if you would talk to any alumnus or student at a Jesuit institution today and you had them associate a quote with Pedro Rupe, they would say forming men and women for others. What I often fear, though, is um, that that's a longer quote, and it's forming men and women for others after Jesus Christ. Uh, so, so there's a direct relationship between Christ. So, uh, as Christ was uh, was uh, 
for others, lived and gave his very life for others. So um, I think that that's, that, that reveals a depth of, of his spirituality and his prayer. And I think it's important to note that the role of superior general uh, is one who, who spends a fair bit of time in prayer. I mean, superiors general, they consult, they read letters, but they spend the bulk of their time in prayer. I mean, everyone knows that the general's apartment in the Curia has a chapel, and uh, many, many hours of the day are spent there. And so Rupe prayed as a general, and he allowed people to see that, which was important. So he lived and served in a complex time, complex era. We're definitely in a complex era today. Now, again, with his this attention kind of being raised on, you know, on him because of this, this sainthood cause, what do you think about him might inspire church leaders, all of us today, who are in a difficult time in the midst of the church? It, it's, it's clear that Arupe suffered. He suffered with the church, and he suffered for the church. Uh, when, you, when you're bringing about a change as radical as the Second Vatican Council and then implementing it, He's, he made changes within the Jesuit order that not all Jesuits agreed with. I mean, there were Jesuits uh, from other countries, uh, even his own native Spain, who wrote the Holy See and said, well, what's happening? Is, is this really the spirit of the council? Or is the society moving in a direction that we're uncomfortable with? So there was a great, change doesn't come easily. And to be the one who leads that level of change, uh, he suffered a great deal. Uh, uh, you, you will read that uh, there are any number of books that are critical of his leadership by scholars who are more or less detractors from the Jesuit order, but it's hard for him not to take that uh, personally or seriously. So, so um, I think his suffering, that he suffered with and for the church, is, is a very saintly quality. Uh, I never met him. Uh, I entered the society after he had had his stroke in 1983. I was a Jesuit when he died in 1990, but I never met him, so I only knew about him. But everyone, I know many people who did know him, and just talked about the, 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 that it was a very dear, loving, peaceful, calm, tranquil man. And I, I think my favorite Arupe story comes from another general, Adolfo Nicolás. And Nicolas, when he was provincial of Spain, so he had two generals, really, uh, uh, in the 20th and 21st century, who came from uh, Japan, uh, Spaniards who were provincials of Japan. And Nicolas was trying to find out the magic of Arupe. And he, he went to a kind of a mountaintop town and he asked a guy, um, tell me, what was it about Arupe that brought you to Catholicism? And uh, was it what, so what he taught? And, and the man said, you know what? I don't know that I understood everything that he taught. Was it. Um, was it the the, the, the the contents of the faith, etc.? And the man said, I, I, even then, I, I wanted to follow, but I didn't understand it all. And, and what it boiled down to was this. The, the man whom Nicolas talked to said, if that is what a Christian is, then I want to be like him. And I think that's probably why people feel so moved for his cause, because so many people became Christians to emulate, to be like Pedro Rupe. Sure, and I would think that's what communion of saints is for us. We have these people who have gone before who, even if we're personally not feeling it that day or not sure about like kind of sticking with the faith or our faith is wavering, to look at those people who have gone before us and say, no, well, if they want to be about this, then I want to be about it too. Because I'm not sure, again, if I trust myself right now, but 
I trust that person. I see that model, and I want to follow that model. Um, again, so important for us and like to have all of the, those role models of faith who've gone before us. You you mentioned his suffering as kind of like a hallmark of his his spirituality, both again as a leader, but then also you know as you said, the last years of his life after he had suffered a really debilitating stroke. And I know that there again are some um, some stories about the way he responded to that and kind of lived into his suffering and embraced it even. Yes, I mean, he lived through another historic moment in the society. Uh, I think most people know that he, he had a stroke. Actually, he was flying from Manila. Uh, it, it, so the last people who really talked to him, that was in Manila in the Philippines. Uh, he had flown into Fiumicino Airport in Rome and on the tarmac in Fiumicino is where he had the stroke. And that fundamentally ended his general life. He did not have the capacity to serve as general. And um, that was in 1981, uh, actually, 19, yes, 1981. And there was a vicar general, Father Vincent O'Keefe, who would have taken over. Uh, but the, the Holy See in his wisdom sent, uh, the, St. John Paul II sent his uh, Secretary of State, Cardinal Casaroli, to the Curia, and there, Father O'Keefe and Father Rupe, with a stroke, learned that the the Holy Father was appointing a delegate to run the Jesuit order. So there's a Rupe who, who realizes, <laughs> I can no longer do it, and the Pope's appointing somebody to run the order. So uh, that, that's a, a significant moment in history, and, and historians have uh, many, there's much that's been written about it, I don't want to comment on it, only to comment on the person of a Rupe, that he experienced this second major historic event in the Society of Jesus, and he embraced it uh, with great peace and great generosity. So there he is, uh, unable to, to, barely able to speak. Those who knew him in the infirmary said, you know, this, this man was a polyglot who spoke so many languages, uh, could, be, could barely, basically could speak a dialect from his childhood. That's what the stroke did to him. And so in that, in a sense, mentally diminished capacity, he was completely generous to the will of the Holy Father. Uh, to the future of the society, trusting that it was in God's hands. That 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 moment, that historical event, uh, lives large in people's hearts and in their imaginations. Sure. So you just have again this, as you're saying, this this immense trust as a leader, caught up in difficult situations. I'm just wondering for you, as, as a leader uh, of the society as well, if you find Pedro Rube appearing in your own prayer reflection, do you find uh, guidance from him at all? Well, uh, it was hard not to know and love Arupe in formation because our formators so loved him and so cared for him. So, so the writings of Arupe uh, were so present before us. Um, and I think the successive generals, Kohenbach, uh, uh, Nicolas, and now Sosa, all keep the memory of Arupe alive. Uh, I am... Um, I'm grateful for his writings, uh, but I, I think what I'm most I'm most drawn to Arupe when I find myself suffering for the church, and uh, there's enough the church is suffering through right now, and I think that's where I get my greatest strength from him is to say, well, he went through some equally difficult and painful times. He was the object of a lot of direct criticism. Uh, he was also the object of some great popularity, which comes with adverse criticism. So uh, that's where I find uh, my greatest hope and strength in Arupe. Well, Father Tim, thank you so much for sharing some of your thoughts and reflections on uh, Father Pedro Arupe, and I'll continue to pray for his uh, canonization. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it.